This morning we're going to pick back up in our study of the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 18. And over last year we kind of marched through this uh, slowly but surely, uh, getting all the way up to Genesis chapter 17 before we took a break for Christmas. And uh, so we're going to pick back up in the story of God's beginnings and the way that he began the earth and the way that he began the work of grace that he has for all of humanity. And if you remember last time we left with this covenant that God made with Abraham and particularly after uh, 20 something years, he gives Abraham this covenant of circumcision. And now Abraham is still waiting on God to fulfill his promises. He knows that uh, God purposes to bring about a son through Sarah. He's tried just about every way, as we'll talk about here in just a second, tried just about every way not uh, in known to man to make the promises of God happen by natural means. And God just keeps turning that away and, and saying, no, I'm going to do it the way I've said I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it through your wife who is barren. And Abraham and Sarah just can't believe that and find all these different ways or try to find all these different ways to meet God's promise on their own terms until finally Abraham has, I think, gotten the message and he is ready to wait on the Lord's timing to bring about the purpose that God has, has for his life. And so we'll see that today in the, in the kind of the last promise that God makes before the fulfillment of that promise. And so we're going to read Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15, and then I'll pray and we'll get into the sermon. Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 1, God's word says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men... <clears throat> were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old. Advanced in years, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? 
The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider your word today, Lord, we know that you are the God of the impossible. You do the things that we believe and we know are physically and naturally impossible to do. You brought this world together uh, to be out of nothing. You created everything in its kind and brought all of the world into being by your very word. You uh, made promises that you have fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And you, by your Holy Spirit, have secured our salvation and brought us to faith in Christ in our own time. Lord, you are faithful even when we are faithless and you are able to do what we could never even dream to do. And so, Lord, as we see this culmination of this promise that you have made to Abraham, may we see it as the, uh, an example of you doing the impossible, you bringing about the impossible promise that you have made and seeing it through. And may we take that as an assurance of our own promise that we have in Jesus Christ. And may we know that regardless of what this world has for us, regardless of how difficult or how trying it may be, that you will fulfill your promises that you have made to us through Jesus Christ. So, Father, give me the words to say that I might encourage and build up. Take away those words that would distract or lead astray. And may all be done for your glory. May it build up your church. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, just this week, a new firestorm is swirling, as you've probably seen on the television, over the decision that President Trump made to assassinate the, the General Soleimani, I think I've got that name right, uh, of Iran in a coordinated drone strike. And at least at first blush, it seems that this decision that President Trump made has once again brought uh, the USA into, the, into turmoil in the Middle East, even though we never really have gotten out of that turmoil. And it's brought us, at least according to the threats uh, that are made by Iran, to the brink of war. And this is after years of promises and action that the president has, has made and done to remove our tr troops from the region. He campaigned on the fact that he was going to get uh, uh, troops out of the Middle East, and he has done that for the most part. But now it seems that we have to send thousands of troops back to the area uh, in order to defend our embassies and to stave off any threats that Iran might want to carry out. Now, I mentioned that because before this ever happened, I, I had on my mind just how much, how inescapable, how mired we as humans seem to be in conflict. At any given time, on any given day, there is a battle being fought somewhere in the world. It could be between two rival gangs on the streets of Chicago. It could be within the church walls in Texas. 
It could be at the gates of an embassy in Iraq, or it might be between protesters and police on the streets of Delhi or in Hong Kong. These conflicts happen irrespective of the promises that our leaders make. They may promise all they want to bring peace through gun control, and yet gun violence still happens in Chicago and in Texas. They may promise to bring all the troops home and get out of the business of policing the world, and yet embassies still burn and wars still royal. They may promise to to bring about a pure Hindu or communist nation, and yet protests rage and people revolt. It seems that our leaders are ultimately powerless to carry out the promises that they make, no matter how grand or bombastic they are in making them. This is nothing new for humanity, though. It seems that the inescapable nature of humanity is one of conflict and injustice. No matter how much we long for peace, for justice, for reconciliation, we continue this vicious cycle generation after generation. Solomon rightly says in Ecclesiastes 8.8, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. We cannot escape death. We cannot escape war. And we cannot escape wickedness, no matter how far we advance, even in medicine, in politics, in education, whatever we do, we can't seem to escape the inevitable nature that we have. We've seen this pattern emerge as we've studied the book of Genesis as well. We've seen the initial hope in the first son, Cain, turn into despair as he kills his brother and flees his family. We've seen the ingenuity of the post-flood peoples who used that ingenuity to build an idol to themselves and ultimately were confused by God because of it. We've even seen Noah's own family, who was found favor with God, ultimately shattered as a result of drunkenness and shame. We want to escape this cycle of sin and death. We want to find a way out from under the curse of sin. And yet everywhere we turn, we find the same story repeated time and again. But... Then comes chapter 12 of Genesis. And we saw this glimmer of hope as God starts to do something different with an old man named Abram and a barren woman named Sarah. Now God promises now God promises to bless even when the man and woman involved in the story are completely unable to obtain the blessing. But oh did they try? And we've seen those stories. First Abram suggests that God should accept his slave, Eliezer, as the promised heir that God would bring. But God tells him, no, the the promised son would be of his own blood. And so Sarah says, "Okay, I'm going to take that literally. 
And it says that God says that it will be from Abram, but it doesn't say you'll be from me. So why don't you take my slave girl, Hagar, and sleep with her and you can have that promised son off of her. And God rejects Ishmael and instead tells Abram that the promise will come through his barren wife, Sarah. And now God has them wait an additional 14 years after the last time he reiterated this promise. And now we find Abram doing one thing faithfully. It's the only thing that Abram really did faithfully besides carry out the covenant of circumcision. He has been sitting this whole time, all 25 years or 24 years, waiting under the oaks of Mamre in the land of Canaan for God to fulfill his promise. And so we find him under the oaks of Mamre in Genesis chapter 18. Abram is sitting by the flap of his tent, waiting on the Lord, and he sees three men walking towards him. We aren't exactly sure how. We're not told how Abraham knew who these men were, but it's apparent that Abraham recognizes one of these men to be God himself. This is what theologians call a theophany. It's a physical embodiment of God on earth. So if you think of in the book of Exodus, the burning bush is a theophany. The cloud of smoke and the pillar of fire, those are theophanies. They are physical representations of God on earth. And so here, Abraham recognizes one of these three men to actually be God himself. And so Abraham rushes about immediately to prepare these men and to show them the prepare these men a meal and to show them the best hospitality he can provide. He washes their feet. He offers them a prime spot under the shade of the oaks. He provides them with water and with milk and with bread and with curds, which I guess is good. Y'all, y'all, you may have had curds before. Uh, I guess that's a cheese uh, is what that is. But, but uh, he provides them with the best meal he can get together. And it's a big meal. In fact, it's funny. He says, I'll go get a morsel of bread. And then he tells his wife to gather three sias of flour. That's a sia is seven quarts. So if you imagine three of those, 21 quarts of bread, of flour, is how much he's making for these people. He is preparing a, th- a feast. He goes and he kills his best calf and he makes that for him. And in this, Abraham is following the example of the king of Salem. Remember, Melchizedek came to Abraham and he gives him bread and wine after the victory that Abraham has over the kings of the east. And and he's also setting forth an example for us that the true and right service of the Lord is to give our best, even when it's inconvenient, Even when it's difficult, we're to give our best to the Lord. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, that Christians are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Everything that we are, everything that we have is to be an act of worship to God. And Abraham exemplifies that for us here. So while 
eating with Abraham, the, the Lord reveals to him that his wife, Sarah, will conceive and bear a son this very time next year. Sarah is listening at the door of the tent and she laughs about this, asking how this could be possible. And there are three reasons that are given in this text and then also uh, earlier in earlier chapters that this is a physical impossibility. First of all, we know all the way back in chapter 11, we found out that Sarah is barren. She's never been able to have children. She is uh, uh, infertile for whatever reason. We're not given what reason it is that she's barren. But we know that, barren, uh, that Sarah has been barren her whole life. Second, now they have waited some 24 years since the first time God promised that he would have an offspring after him in, ver in chapter 12. And she, it notes, has hit menopause. It says the way of, or my translation says, the way of the woman has left her. In other words, not only can she not have children because she's barren, but now she can't have children because she is postmenopausal. And then finally, the last reason she notes, and this is a little, I'll leave this to your imagination, but she notes that her husband and she are old. And she says, shall I now have pleasure after I am withered or shriveled is what the word is used there. And effectively what she's intimating here is that she and her husband have not been together in a long time. So there's no relations, there's no physical possibility that would make this promise that God is making here happen, that would make it a reality. Every physical avenue that could be to carry out this promise is no longer there. It's all gone. All an impossibility. And yet... For these three impossibilities, God answers with his own power over the impossible. First of all, he reveals that he knows that she has laughed by asking Abram, Abraham why she's laughed. So she's sitting at the tent door. He's sitting out, you can imagine, under these oak trees in the, in the church house, at the church house. He, he's, he's sitting out a, a distance away, and the Lord asks, why is your wife laughing? And um, she comes up and, and kind of defensively says, but I didn't laugh. And so he reveals that he knows, even though she's not in their presence, he knows that she has laughed. But even more impossible than that, because you might say, well, he's just got really good hearing. And he could hear that she snickered in the tent door. But he reveals something even more impossible by showing that he knows what she's thought to herself. She didn't mumble this. She didn't say this to someone else. She thought it to herself. And God knows that she has thought that there is no possibility that she could have a child. And finally... The third impossible thing that he does is he makes the promise anyway. And he says, 
despite all the physical impossibilities of the situation, he will still bring about the birth of her son by her. Now, this story reveals something that the Bible later fleshes out a good bit more. And that is something that's stated in the passage. Nothing is impossible with God. In fact, the literal Hebrew there is God asked, is anything too wonderful for me? Is there anything that's beyond my ability? Is there anything that is so great that I cannot accomplish? There is nothing that is impossible with God. And there's there are two ways that this is noted in Scripture. First of all, God, God's plans and purposes will be accomplished. God purposes and plans his redemptive purpose in the world. And there is nothing that can stop his purposes in this world. Job chapter 42 verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Not only are his plans always accomplished, but he is all powerful or as theologians call it, he is omnipotent. He, God, by his very character, has all power and authority. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. But still, even though nothing is impossible with God, Yet the world still continued in sin and in death. From Abraham to Moses to David to Ezra and all the way through up until now. Sure, God was faithful to give barren Sarah a son. But what good did that do at the end of the day? Abraham and Sarah and even Isaac himself, the child of promise, are long dead and they're buried under those oaks of Mamre where God made this promise. It seems that conflict and sin and death are just too impossible for God. But then there's this interesting story in Luke chapter 1 about a priest named Zechariah. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth have been hoping for a child their whole lives and now She's barren and she's and they're both very old. And Zechariah, being a priest, goes into the temple to offer sacrifices. And while he's there, an angel appears to Zechariah and tells him that his wife will conceive and have a son named John who will anoint, uh, who will announce the coming of the Messiah, John the Baptist. You remember the story, Zechariah laughs. Interesting connection there. And as a result, God takes away his speech so that he can't talk till John is born. Just a page over in Luke chapter 2, there's a young peasant girl named Mary to whom an angel appears as well and tells her that she will have a son. And it says, the Bible says she marvels at this. You could take that word marvel to also mean Laugh, not necessarily out of doubt, but laugh at the wonder of it. And she asked, how can these things be? Because she's a virgin. 
And the angel promises that God's very spirit will come upon her and that she will have a child and the child will be named Jesus. Not only was Jesus' birth by a virgin impossible, but Jesus' whole life was an impossibility. He, he calmed storms. He healed lepers. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He also knew the very thoughts of those who followed him. He told the Pharisees just what they were thinking to themselves and murmuring among themselves. He knew the doubts and sins of his own, uh, own disciples. He knew the cross to which he would eventually go even as he began his ministry some three or four years earlier. And even more impossible than all of that is the fact that after that cross, he rose again from the dead. And that was so unbelievable that even his own disciples didn't believe that it had happened until they saw him face to face in his resurrected body. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus came to do that which was impossible. In Matthew chapter 19, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus to find out how he can obtain eternal life. And the Bible says he goes away saddened because of the difficulty that Jesus put in front of him to sell his own goods and to come and follow him and he'll have a place in the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples are astonished by this. And Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples are dismayed because everybody knows, even today, nowadays, that being rich is a sign of God's favor. Or we assume that's what it is. And they assume that if anybody was going to get into heaven, it was going to be rich people. And so they wonder, how can this be? And Jesus tells them in verse 26, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Brothers and sisters, your salvation would be an impossibility if it were not for Jesus Christ. Like all of the characters of the Bible, you too have failed miserably to keep the commands of God and to bring Him glory. There is nothing you can do no price you can pay. No way to fulfill the promises of God through your own means. And yet, nothing is impossible with God. Paul says in Romans 5 that some might be willing to die for a righteous man. But there is nobody sane in this world who would be willing to die for a sinner. And yet, verse 8 says... But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And even though this world will continue in conflict and in strife and in sin, we still have the final hope of the resurrection that is to come. Now we might look at our bodies and look at our aches and our turmoil and the difficulty we have in our lives and wonder how this promise of resurrection could ever be. And yet we know nothing is impossible with God. God is faithful to his promises. And in his season, when it is right and the time is right for him, he will make all things new and bring about the completion of the promises 
that he has made to us in Jesus Christ. That is the hope that we have. And as a result of that, we can live confidently in this world. And we can be like Abraham and show hospitality to others and do good in this world because we know that this world is not all there is. There is a world coming that is better and brighter. And so we can serve Christ knowing that even though this world is full of strife, He will complete His promises to us because what is impossible to us is possible through Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this word that we have. This example of a faithful servant Abram, Abraham who waited on you and ultimately received the completion of his promise through his son Isaac. Father, as we seek to be obedient in this world and to show hospitality and love to others, may we remember that our ultimate promise is found in the resurrection to come. And that promise was assured to us through the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Give us that hope as we leave this place today. May we go into this world ready to serve and to give a testimony of your saving grace because we know that with you all things are possible. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.